Welcome to the Find Your Best Future podcast. This is the podcast that helps international families make great decisions when it comes to choosing university courses. Welcome to another episode of the Find Your Best Future podcast. Today we're going to be taking a look at the Ivy Leagues and um, uh, the first question I've got for Jeremy is, is it Ivy League or Ivy Leagues? Interesting you should raise that point, Neil, because I was talking to someone recently who said he thought it was a little odd that it was Ivy Leagues with an S at the end. Now, I've seen both versions written um, because there are actually eight of them. I sort of assumed it would be plural, but I mean, I could be wrong on this one. Okay. And what we're going to be doing uh, around the Ivy Leagues is really uh, um, taking a really thorough look at who they are, what they are, but also... um, uh, plenty of tips and tricks on how to uh, make sure that your application is as successful as possible should you be considering applying for these prestigious universities. So without further ado, let's get to it. Okay, so let's get down to basics. Um, what universities are included in the Ivy Leagues? And indeed, how did this name come about? I thought you were never going to ask me that question, Neil. And um, there's been all sorts of speculation about the origin of this name, but um, the most widely um, held um, reason is that in 1937, a journalist named Caswell Adams used the term while covering a football game between Columbia and UPenn, okay. and the name stuck. Yeah, and the Ivy League universities are obviously old, established, uh, allegedly with ivy growing up the walls. Ah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how good their gardening team is, whether there's really ivy on the walls. But I mean, having been to one or two, I I guess I've probably seen some growing around there somewhere. But they're all very, very old, established universities, uh, founded even before the War of Independence, uh, which was 1776. So they go way back. Right. And what, tell, tell us what universities are actually included in the Ivy Leagues. Yeah, it's probably worth flagging up the, the list of names. It's Harvard, Yale, UPenn, Princeton, Columbia, Cornell, Brown and Dartmouth. And, and there are a couple of names there that I always assumed were in that group that are missing from that list. Stanford and MIT, I'm yeah, sure exactly. you're thinking of. Yeah, I know. I thought that too. Um, I think that um, technically speaking, they're not actually part of the Ivy League's group. But in reality, of course, they are very top universities, these two. And students who apply to the Ivy Leagues usually apply to either Stanford and or MIT as well. And I also noticed that you know, many of them are on the... Uh, uh, east coast of uh, of, of america uh, yeah for historical reasons of course they date back to before the uh, revolutionary war independence war uh, and of course, of course the united states only existed at that time the 13 original colonies or states were on the eastern seaboard of uh, north america stanford right. of course um, is in california the west coast indeed but, you know. okay um so they're prestigious universities they're not the only prestigious universities in america and in fact, uh, um, you know, there are many, many others. Uh, and we mentioned two. Um, you know, uh, maybe let's take a look at them one by one. Could we do that? 
Most certainly we can, yeah. I mean, because if you are a listener considering applying to one of these, or one or more, I should say, of sure. these Ivy Leagues, then there's, there's certain things you, you need to think about, uh, your own personal preference, really. And I think the first thing to consider is location. Right. I mean, for example, if you are looking for a rural setting, you know, surrounded by nature, a small, tight-knit college community, then Dartmouth or Cornell would be good choices for you. Um, on the other hand, if you want the hustle and bustle of a big city, Columbia, of course, is in New York, UPenn, obviously, uh, Philadelphia. And then you've got Brown, Harvard, Yale are uh, located in smaller cities. Um, Harvard is actually in Cambridge, Massachusetts, just across yes. the river from Boston and so on. And Princeton, actually, Princeton is the only one that's located in what we might call a suburban area. Um, okay. easy to get into New York City or Philadelphia from there. Right. So there's something for everyone. Okay. And the academic programs and majors, are they sort of similar? Similar, but not identical. Um, each Ivy League uh, offers unique degrees and programs. Uh, for example, if you're interested in uh, business with a focus on hospitality industry, then Cornell is the place to go. Right. Um, so each university will have something different to offer, which we'll dig into in just a moment. Okay. And, of course, you mentioned size, and, you know, they vary enormously, don't they, in size, the Ivy Leagues? They certainly do. I mean, UPenn has 25,000 students, whereas Dartmouth only has 6,000. So, uh, yeah, big difference in size. Yeah, huge. Um, now let's talk, take a look at one by one. Let me just kick off with Brown. I actually know someone who went there. I visited it once when I was a student. It's a beautiful, beautiful university. It, uh, uh, it uh, really impressed me back then. Yes, of course, uh, located in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, not too bad. Not too bad at all. I've never been to visit Brown, actually, but if you're oh, on the Brown beautiful, admissions beautiful team place, listening yeah. to this, then please invite me. Um, no, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and me, and me. Yeah, yeah. We both want to come <laughs> and visit Brown. Um, well, the, the most popular majors at Brown include things like computer science, econometrics, quantitative economics, biology, biomedical sciences, entrepreneurship, and so on. I mean, they have a wide range of majors available. Um, but as with all of the Ivy Leagues, it's very selective. There's only approximately a 7% acceptance rate. Um, if you're wondering what sort of grades you need to get in, well, the answer, of course, is high. <laughs> um, probably the best way to describe it is in terms of SAT scores, as most right. people understand what they mean. Um, the SAT is scored on a range up to 1,600. Right. And the sort of the average score for an admitted student at Brown is going to be somewhere in the region of 1440 to 1520. Okay. Um, obviously, it's only part of the admissions process because U.S. colleges have a holistic approach. But it will give you a sort of a ballpark figure, a starting point. Right. And I, I, I remember it being quite a, a liberal, um, you know, place, very, very sort of open and uh, uh, a place that uh, uh, is, seemed relatively innovative, even if its uh, roots were were way back in history is that is that right i can absolutely say it is right yes i, I think we, we can say that is true of all the ivy leagues ah, okay. uh, in, innovation plays a, a critical role in higher education in the united states and these ivy leagues are leaders in u.s higher right. education and how many students go to brown 
Uh, Brown is relatively small, actually, um, only about seven and a half thousand undergraduate students. Right. Okay. And let's sort of move, I think, down the coast now to uh, Columbia. Is that sort of New York City area, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, very much so. New York City. Um, Columbia is really known for its excellence in, in areas like philosophy, English, performing arts. Um, they have a lot of research centers attached right. to the university. Um, other popular majors would be sort of social sciences, engineering, computing, biosciences. Um, the, the, the list goes on and on, really. I mean, it's uh, a very prestigious university that, that offers its undergraduates a wide range of majors. Sure. And, and is it as competitive as Brown? Yes. Um, all of these uh, Ivy Leagues um, are very competitive. I mean, we, we talked just now about looking at the SAT, that's the average range of SAT scores. And Columbia comes in at between about 1450 and 1560 on the SAT. So slightly higher than Brown, but pretty much, much of a muchness. So much of a muchness, I would say. Yeah. And acceptance um, rates for uh, Columbia? Yeah, about 6%. Right. Obviously, it varies a little bit year on year, but uh, you, you're going to hear me as I go through this. Uh, acceptance rates are, are fairly standardly low shall we right. say uh, okay yeah. and size-wise similar i think to brown if yes about six and a half thousand undergraduate right. students in columbia yeah okay okay and um maybe next uh another c cornell university yep in ithaca upstate new york um cornell truly provides a broad liberal arts education it has nearly right. 80 majors and more than 120 minors and they offer dual degree programs so um, as I mentioned earlier, check out Cornell for things like hospitality management. Right. And then you've got things like architecture, agricultural sciences, engineering, uh, and on and on. But with 80 majors, of course, we can't go through the whole list right now. But right. Cornell has a slightly higher acceptance rate than the ones we looked at so far, averaging about 11%. Okay. Um, and the SAT scores come in between. That's quite a, quite a big difference, I guess. Yeah, it is, yeah. Cornell, however, has uh, 15,000 undergraduate students. Okay. Um, and the average well, sort they... of range of SAT scores? Yeah, uh, about 1390 to 1540. So okay, so slightly high. easier to get into than the, the ones that we've looked at so far. Is that right? It would, it would appear to be that way, but um, yeah. I think e easy is not a word we really want to use <laughs> when, we're, when we're talking about Ivy Leagues. No, I, okay, no, I was no, mistaken no. there. I agree with you completely. <laughs> we are not talking yes. easy here. Uh, none we of definitely don't easy. want to lead our listeners astray. <laughs> no, indeed. Um, yeah. And the next one on our list is actually another one I've, I've visited, uh, Dartmouth College. Um in New Hampshire, a, a beautiful, beautiful place uh, uh, in, in Hanover. Um, what kind of courses uh, is Dartmouth College famous for? Yeah, I also know New Hampshire. I've had uh, vacations there. Um, very, very lovely setting. Um, well, Dartmouth College, um, I think it's probably true to say it's the smallest of the Ivy Leagues, right. coming in at about 4,500 undergraduate okay. students. And they sort of specialize in social sciences. Again, they have engineering programs, biomed sciences, computing, mathematics and statistics is particularly strong at Dartmouth. Um, and they have about a 9% acceptance rate. Right. Okay. And SAT score range? 
between 1420 and 1560. Okay. So, so we'll in line with the others, I'd say. Yeah. Right. Now, the next one on the list uh, is Harvard. And I'm, I've been very lucky uh, over my years because um, one of the uh, events that I have to or had to uh, attend every year was located in Cambridge, uh, right uh, in the heart of uh, MIT Harvard land. Um, Cambridge uh, is actually sort of almost Boston. It's just divided by the river. Um, uh, but uh, Cambridge is certainly the older uh, part of town. Uh, tell us a bit about Harvard. Probably one of the most yeah. famous uh, of the Ivy Leagues, I guess. It certainly is. Uh, I've actually been lucky enough to go and do a summer program at Harvard, and uh, I can attest to the fact it's a wonderful location, as well as, of course, being a top university. Cambridge, Massachusetts, yeah, as you rightly say, um, it's just the other side of the river from Boston. It's actually linked with the T. The T, of course, is the transportation. Uh, uh, it's also known as metro, subway, etc. So, yeah, Cambridge, Massachusetts, Harvard. Um, their students are able to take liberal arts program uh, before proceeding on to specialize as a graduate. Um, Harvard is particularly highly rated for biological studies and also political sciences. Okay. A lot of famous American politicians have graduated from Harvard in the political science field. Right. Okay. The acceptance rate, I guess, are low. Is the, that right? The acceptance rate, well, yes, uh, approximately 5%. Whew. And, oof, yes, I know. Uh, but don't worry, we're going to uh, share some information with our listeners later on in this episode about how to improve your chance. Well, that so certainly needs uh, improving on that. Stand, stand by, stand by for that part. Don't exactly. turn off yet. We've got um, quite a few top tips coming uh, your way. We have got, we have got some top tips, Neil. Yes. Um, right. And SAT so, scores for Harvard? Well, between about fourteen sixty and fifteen eighty. Remember, sixteen hundred is the max. Fifteen eighty. Oof. It doesn't doesn't give you much room for error. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly doesn't. Okay, Princeton. No. I, I know little about Princeton. Tell me about Princeton. Uh, uh, Princeton, New Jersey, of course. Uh, and the most popular majors there are social sciences. Again, they have engineering, biomed sciences, economics, computing, public administration, political science, and on and on and on. Right. Um, and it's pretty small, I think, if I remember rightly. Yeah, only about five and a half thousand students, okay. uh, under, undergraduate. We, we should make that point clear. Sure. Obviously, there are postgraduate students as Indeed. well. But I think Indeed. most of our listeners are more interested in the undergraduate scene Certainly. at these universities. And uh, acceptance rates? Um... About 5%. Okay. Um, and and, uh, SAT, yeah. Also SAT. similarly horrifically high, I guess. Not easy, Neil. Not easy. You're going to have to work really hard to get in. Uh, 1440 to 1570, approximately. Okay. Now, University of Pennsylvania, UPenn, yeah? It's normally yeah. called. Um, where is it actually in Pennsylvania? In Philadelphia. Okay. All right. Philadelphia Freedom. It's where the bell is with the big crack down the middle. You know, the famous Freedom, Liberty Bell. I, I know it's the all, sort of... It's all to song. do. To, it's to do uh, with the American Revolutionary War and the Independence okay. War, etc. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Go on. Tell okay. us about uh, okay. UPenn then. Well, great university, obviously. Um, yeah. Majors: business, management, marketing, and also social sciences, biomed sciences, engineering, health professions, and related programs. 
Um, and it is particularly famous for Wharton Business School, which is a world-renowned Indeed. business school. It's part of but, UPenn. And just do, um, you know, undergraduates, so they can they attend uh, there or is it just for masters oh, yes. and beyond? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Undergrads can go as well. Okay. All right. And uh, what kind of size is UPenn? About 10,000 undergrad students. Yeah. Okay. And, and the, the eight, painful eight, statistics eight. again? Okay, 8% acceptance rate, more okay. or less. Um, SATs, 1420 to 1550. All right. Okay. Again, these are called a ballpark average sure, figures. Sure, of course. Yeah. Of yeah. course. Um, number eight on our list is uh, Yale. Yeah, as a research and liberal arts college located in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, yeah, as I said, social sciences, biomed sciences, history, engineering, mathematics, and so on. Around about 6% acceptance rate. 1460 to 1570 SATs and okay. 6,500 undergrad students. Right. I actually know somebody who's going to be going to Yale next, uh, next year, a master's uh, candidate. Mm. In that area of, um, you know, social sciences... Uh, um uh, as well so you know it's, it's a very special place to go and study um similar size to some of the others about six thousand yeah about six and a half thousand undergrad students right and do you think we should um throw in the other two uh, um uh as a as a sort of um uh, special bonus the two that everyone believes belong but don't I think we should. Actually, uh, I picked out four. Uh, ah, Stan- right. Stan- Stanford and MIT, we, we, we touched on just briefly, but there's something called U.S. News National Rankings. Now, right. if you want to know how rankings work, we've made a podcast episode on, on this topic. That's a popular um, one. Yeah, that's good to hear um, because rankings are yeah, interesting, shall we say. Um, but in terms, in terms of rankings within the United States, these four universities that we're about to talk about um, regularly feature right up there in the top 10, which is why I think it's worth flagging them up. Now, Stanford um, is the first one on our list. Um, It's highly competitive acceptance rate we've already talked about. It's actually uh, just outside San Francisco in the Bay Area. Okay. Okay. I didn't know that. And it yeah. must be, it's really competitive, isn't it, Stanford? It's one of those ones. Stanford that... is one of the world's world's top universities. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, it's very close to Silicon Valley. Um, yes, indeed. In- interestingly enough, yeah. Sure. And, and uh, have... do you know an ex- acceptance rate for, for Stanford? Yeah, sort of 4 or 5%, something in that order. Ooh, okay. Um, mm. MIT is the other one that obviously I know, as I mentioned earlier, um, sort of scattered around Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, yeah. Um, uh, and uh, very impressive it is too. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Massachusetts Institute of Technology is what it stands for, always referred to as MIT. Um, yeah, highly ranked right up there alongside the uh, the Ivies. Um, I actually went to visit MIT, and of course, as a technology university, they had wonderful sort of laboratories and spaces where people were doing seriously geeky things, inventing clever clever machines it was yes. absolutely fascinating i love seem to be a, yeah. a, you know in, in cambridge seems to be full of incredibly clever people sitting in yes. coffee shops having intelligent yeah. Yeah. conversations and then also in, they were all incredibly sporty as well 
everywhere you go, there's somebody running down a road or jumping in a boat or something or other. Uh, a very, very uh, academically stimulating, but also uh, physically, um, uh, you know, sort of active uh, uh, town. Um, and, MIT, and is, it, is it difficult to get into or is it dead, uh, dead easy and anyone can go? God, they take anybody. They say, no, of course not, Neil. <laughs> it's a highly competitive university. Uh, but so pick up on what you were saying about sporty people. I noticed when, when, when I was uh, doing a summer program at Harvard, which is just, I want to say just down the road, but maybe just down the river might be a yeah, better way to put exactly. it. Uh, a lot of people out there rowing on the river. Um, Completely. Yeah just a lovely, lovely environment because when you're selecting your university, um, you do actually want to think about where it's located. Some people love the idea of being in the middle of New York City and other people perhaps are not turned on by the thought. So sure. think a little bit about where you want to go. Now, is Northwestern University in the northwest of, uh, of America, the USA? Uh, not really. It's in Chicago. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> I'm always like... Hang on a minute. This is, this is the name of the university that I just never understand. It's called know, Northwestern, but in fact, it's more like, uh, well, it's certainly north. But it's well, actually... it's certainly north, yes. It's up on the lakes there. Um, it's more or less, it, if you're not too familiar with the geography of the United States, it's more or less sort of halfway across in the middle at the top, just before you go over the border into Canada. And it's um, cold. But, <laughs> very cold the windy city of chicago yes if you're planning on going there definitely buy yourself some warm clothing oh, it is really really cold in northwestern um yeah uh, yeah ranking and, where where is it rank in the in the u.s well, rankings? It's, it's it's ranked up there in the top 10 right. each year um and acceptance rates only about eight percent okay clearly and the last one on the if, list is also uh in chicago it certainly is university of chicago yeah yeah and again, it's it's ranked right up there, seven percent acceptance rates. Um, I would emphasise these are only approximate numbers because they do change a little bit. But yeah, uh, it will give you some impression. All of that. Yeah, but it does yeah. give you an idea of, uh, of of the challenge, you know. Um, and of course, this is seven percent of all the people who apply uh, to yes. um, uh, these universities. Um, and, and even to consider applying, you need to be pretty strong as well. So it's a self-selecting group uh, within which those uh, 7% uh, or from which those 7% are selected. So I'd like to pretend that, you know, I have the academic ability to apply for um, one of the Ivy Leagues. But let's uh, let's. Uh, pretend for a moment that I do, um, what, what's the best approach uh, to go about uh, uh, applying? Well, um, first of all, of course, you have to have awesome grades on your high school transcript. High school transcript is a document um, that you may or may not be aware of. It's basically just a simple document which lists the courses you've taken since you started grade nine in high school each semester and the grades you achieved. And I think now, that's really important to say it's grade yes. nine, right? Mm. And lots of students, especially international students, don't actually take grade nine very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them haven't grown up very much by then. Uh, uh, so, you know, uh, they do actually look at the, the four years, don't they? 
They do, yes. I mean, the university admissions tutors understand that sometimes students haven't quite got their ideas together at the beginning of grade nine. What they're looking for really is a, is an upward progression, an upward curve, if you like. Right. Because they, they, they want to see that you're getting better and better. And they're going to take right. a very close look at your most recent grades. Okay, so so an upward curve on your transcript obviously can't be starting with D's and no. uh, down no, no, there, no. but it, but it, you're looking at an upward curve within the sort of top I don't know twenty percent, ten percent of grades, something like that. You'd be looking at hopefully. Mm -hmm. um, and do the Ivy Leagues require SAT scores? Uh, yes, they do. Um, right. I was actually having a, having a look at this. Um, I just had a look at Harvard and Yale. I was just curious to sort of have a, a, an idea of this. We, we talked about SAT scores just now. Um, the SAT is the reading and writing section. And sure. then there's the math section. And both of those sections are scored on 800 max. Okay. Uh, Harvard and Yale, they, they're both looking between 730 and 780 on the reading and writing and 750 and 800 which is a perfect score on the mathematics. Okay. And uh, I suppose in maths, if you are um, incredibly talented in that area, the perfect score is, is achievable. Yes, it is. Right, okay. um, perhaps we, we, we should also flag up the fact there's uh, something called ACT scores, yeah, I think so. uh, which is an alternative to SAT and also recognized and valued by US colleges and universities. Um, but if you are heading down the ACT route, then Harvard and Yale will want somewhere between 33 and 36. And that's and out of? 36. Oof, okay. I did warn you, Neil, this is going to be competitive, and it certainly oh, you is. You did yes. warn me. <laughs> you did warn me. So yes. uh, that's that. But you also mentioned that, that missions was holistic. Uh, yeah. So we have good grades. We have a great score on, on the standardized testing. What else do they look at? Uh, well, obviously, your college council and your teachers will send in recommendation letters uh, on your right. behalf. But probably the most important thing that you as a student can work on is your college essay, or okay. should I say let's, essays, plural. Let's, let's um, drill into that a little bit uh, in detail because it really is a very important part of the application. Yeah. In fact, we have made a podcast, a separate podcast episode on college essays. So I'd really urge you to uh, listen in to that episode because yeah, that's it's really, where, it's really where we're getting to, uh, to yeah. get these right. Very, very important. Yes. Because okay. if you imagine um, the, the university admissions tutors, they've, they, they've got all this information in front of them. They have grades from your transcript and they've got the numbers from your SAT or ACT score. But, and they've also got the opinions of your teachers and your college counselor. But this essay or essays, this is where you have the chance to talk to the admissions tutors. This right. is your big chance to sell yourself. And this is why it's so important. I think also, you know, with such a, a, you know, a strong field of students applying, in reality, uh, they just assume that you're going to be smart, don't they? Yes, indeed. Um, perhaps while we're just on this topic of sort of admissions and, and um, college essays, another podcast episode we made, we, we talked to Anne Corriveau, who's the oh, Director yes. of International Admissions at Boston University, which is also a very top university. And she had a lot of very interesting insights 
from the perspective of someone who actually reads applications at a top university. So I think it'd be well worth your while going to listen to that podcast episode. It's um, Boston University and Corivo. Can I, can I, before we move on though, uh, you know, yeah. can you give us some idea of the kind of questions that are asked uh, uh, for the, uh, uh, the college uh, essay? Um, what kind of yes. things uh, are they wanting to hear? Well, um, there are probably two, at least two essays you're going to have to write because okay. when you apply to most colleges in the United States, you use something called the Common App or Common Application. And the Common App uh, requires you to write a Common App essay. Okay. Then after, after that, each individual college or university you apply to will require you to write an essay or perhaps essays, plural. So essays are going to take up quite a lot of your time and they need to be uh, you know, carefully planned, carefully written. But the Common App essays, for example, um, ones currently on their website look like this. Um, some students have a background, identity or interest or talent that is so meaningful they believe their application would be incomplete without it. If this sounds like you, then please share your story. Wow. So this is an invitation for you to write something about the interesting person that you are and your experiences. And, and these um, obviously should be personal, shouldn't they? And, and yes, original. absolutely. Um, and we'll come, you know, in the other episode, we cover this in great detail, but don't be tempted to, um, you know, uh, take... Uh, uh, something from the web or something that is written no. not in your own voice uh, because uh, these admissions tutors are pretty good at what they do, I guess. They are. They're very experienced people and they can very quickly see whether it's been written by a teenager or a teenager's parent or right. some, some advisor or agent or other adult. What they really want is a teenager's voice. It has right. to be your own voice. It has to be personal. That's the most important thing about this. They want to hear from you because you are the one that they are considering offering a place to. So it's vital that you speak to them in your voice. Okay. And obviously this is, takes time to write something that is uh, powerful and persuasive. When do you recommend that people uh, start this process? That's an excellent question, Neil. Um, my usual answer earlier rather than later. <laughs> um, but I, I think that you know, high school students are obviously very busy with their academic programs. That's clear. Um, but I think probably the best time for most high school students um, would be during the summer vacation between grade 11 and grade 12, because then you have a breathing space. You can sit down and you can take several days to work and rework your essay. Please don't think you can just sit there and write it in one session. You absolutely can't. Um, so it's going to take quite a bit of time. So we mentioned uh, taking a look at the essay in summer of grade 11 through to grade 12 but planning your application timeline is really really important when it comes to uh, the ivy leagues isn't it can you give us uh, yeah. an insight into the kind of uh, approach that students should take yes i mean uh, during grade 11 you need to be taking your sat or act tests 
Um, Do you so, need to take both uh, uh, no, to try and no, maximise you your chances? It depends really on how much time you have. I mean, you could theoretically take a, a mix of SAT or ACT tests. I mean, we have actually done a separate podcast on these. Um, they're very similar, except right. the ACT has a science paper on it. So if you're wondering which of these two to take, go and have a listen to our podcasts on SAT sure. and ACT. And also go on the websites of these two organizations and just have a look through the the, uh, the syllabus and the past papers and then figure out which one suits you best. Okay, so, but start in grade 11. Yeah. Get, uh, get, this, you, get this process on, on the road because it's not a one-off, is it? No, it's not. I, I mean, it's probably a good idea to have a look at the test dates when you're still in grade, grade 10 and then figure out which test dates you're going to actually do these tests on. Uh, because right. it may be you have to take it a second or a third time just in case your scores are not high enough first time round. Obviously, if they are high enough, then you don't need to uh, test a second time. And um, with, a, with, a, with a, such a low acceptance rate, it would be pretty naive just to apply to the <laughs> Ivy Leagues, I guess. Uh, um, uh, I don't think you would advise that, would you? Certainly not. Um there's a, the usual system of applications, which is widespread in the United States, is called REACH, Target and Safety Schools. Uh, the REACH schools or colleges are the ones that are demanding grades a little bit higher than you are currently achieving in school. The Target schools are the ones uh, which demand grades around about your level. And the safety schools are ones that have application requirements a little bit easier than you are currently scoring. This is a right. sensible way to go about it. The Ivy Leagues are obviously going to be right up there amongst the REACH universities, but nevertheless, sure. go for it. But also have something else just in case. And even as a strong student, uh, you can expect um, not to be accepted by them all, I guess, or, you know, you can hope uh, for it, but it would be very unusual to... Uh, uh, to just sort of stroll your way in? Um, regrettably, of course, um, we, we've had a, a look at the acceptance numbers. Uh, I think we can say that more than 90% of applicants are rejected. Okay. Now, if you find yourself one of these 90%, don't be too dejected because there are lots of other excellent universities in the United States and elsewhere. Where With great names. Yes, where you can and will be successful and move on to a successful career. So right. if you do get rejected, it's really not the end of the world. It might be a setback or a disappointment, but you're soon going to get over it. And you're going but to go I think that whole else. idea of reach target safety is a great one when it comes to this, because, yes. as you said, you know, these are reach. And, and maybe you need to sort of frame your, your brain around, you know, the Ivy Leagues are reach. And my target might be um, something slightly uh, 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 more accessible than that. Yes, that's, that's correct. Um, I think that uh, a, a wise way to proceed really is have a, a bit of a mix, I would say. Okay. And I guess college counsellors play a critical role, especially in these um, um, you know, competitive application processes. Yes, you need to be in constant contact with your college counsellor, explain to him or her what your plans are, where you want to apply, 
And obviously you're going to need him or her to produce some paperwork for you to upload documents on your behalf. So don't try and sort of hide away and do it on your own. You really need to get in there and schedule meetings with your college counsellor. And build a relationship from grade 11. Very, don't don't yeah, just yeah. wait until, uh, you know, a couple of days before when you want to do it. Uh, I think that's really important as well, isn't it? It is because uh, we're only human and, and people are understandably more willing to help those that they know rather than just sure. some random name on a list. Exactly. Okay, so that, and that, that's grade 11. And then in, in the, the vacation between 11 and 12, uh, sitting down, writing, crafting your essays, I think probably the best way of describing it, not writing, but crafting over time. And then in grade 12, what does the timeline look like there? Well, um, it's important to understand that there are, there are basically two deadlines that you could be heading for if you're applying to the United States. There is the early decision, early action deadline, which is November the 1st, and the regular admission deadline, which is January the 1st. Or okay, so there are two, two routes yeah. in. And what's yeah. the difference? Um, with early decision, you'll be required to sign a, a piece of paper or online form saying that if you are offered a place, you will go there. You're committing yourself to that university. And in most cases, you're only allowed to apply to one early decision oh, university. Okay. So you need to be very clear that that is a university that you actually want to go to. That's now, the first student, thing. To, uh, yeah. If you're a student that's hoping for financial aid... Um, does that put them in, a, in a, a bit of a challenging position if, if Harvard offer me a place yeah. uh, uh, without any financial aid? Am I expected then to, to pay uh, or re legally required to pay 50000 uh, a year? How does that work? No, um, you, you are required to go there so long as the, the finances stack up. Okay. Right. So there is that yeah. caveat because otherwise, yeah, there is, be, uh, yes, incredibly yeah. difficult, wouldn't it, for uh, it is. for students who don't come from money to take that risk? I mean, for example, if you are going to go down the early decision or early action route, there are basically three possible outcomes: you're accepted right. to your university, in which case, problem solved, or you are rejected, uh, or you can be waitlisted. Now, what okay. this means is the university feels you are a strong candidate, but they're not yet able to offer you a place. And they would like to compare you against the applicants who are coming in through the regular admissions January the 1st. And then it's kind of like having a second chance at this, if you like. OK, I understand. And those um, if you're accepted, uh, I think I remember from our um, uh, studying in the USA uh, episode that we made. Um, you're accepted, you're just accepted. It's not conditional on your grades or, or, or anything. Is that right? Usually they, they will expect you to maintain your current grade level, which in the right. case of people applying to the Ivy Leagues is obviously a high level. Um, okay. Now, it could be that when you get to the end of grade 12, your, your grades drop off a bit. Um, as long as they don't sort of fall off the edge of the cliff, um, it's okay. Right, understood. Um, and this uh, waitlisting thing, um, how, how common is it and how should students react if they're waitlisted? 
Well, that's a good question. Um, if you are waitlisted, um, it means that you are going to hear later on because you're put back into the pot, so to speak, along with all the people coming in through regular admissions. Now, in practical terms for you, the student, it means you've, you've applied early decision, but you haven't yet got a place. Now, this means that you're going to have to apply to other universities through the regular admissions because right. you can't be sure that just because you're waitlisted, they're going to give you a place in January. No. So you're going to have to go through basically a plan B. Um, so you need to have all these things lined up and ready to go. And you remember, you're going to have to write a lot of essays just in case you don't get accepted through early decision. Understood. Because you don't have a, you don't have a lot of time. Because you imagine if you apply early decision, uh, November the first deadline, and then sometime in let's say in late November, you hear that you've been waitlisted, and you have to think that you're going to be going on winter vacation sometime sure. in the middle to end of December, and you've got a January the first deadline, and you might need yeah, to get paperwork see. from your college counselor, it all becomes a little bit tight. And this is why you need to prepare to apply to other universities, even if you're going to do early decision. Okay, at this point in the uh, podcast, we need a health warning for everybody. Um, if you're listening in, I, I suggest you sit down, um, make sure you're you're comfortable because we need to talk money, and um, the numbers are eye-wateringly high. At least, uh, uh, um, you know the the sort of uh, the the public listed price. Uh, how much does it cost to go to an Ivy League, Jeremy? Um, this is an interesting dynamic because a lot of people get put off by the sticker price. Um, however, the United States has a highly developed system of financial aid. And we were lucky enough to do a podcast episode with one of the world's leading authorities on American financial aid. Right. And so, so check out Randy, that yeah. episode. Randy Venner from the American University in Paris. So definitely check out that episode because you will learn a lot about how financial okay but aid let's get down to the to the to the numbers the, the cost before aid come on okay harvard university cost before aid um just over seventy three thousand dollars a year remember Woo! you're going to be there for four years and you've got housing and other bits and pieces on top so we're, we're a lot close. a lot of money is the answer <laughs> <laughs> we're getting four hundred thousand uh area uh, the price of a house in, in many locations or three houses, yes, uh, yes. depending on where you are. Uh, but there, as you said, there is some good news uh, uh, around that. Um, uh, what does it look like uh, possibly after financial aid? Well, the good news is that Harvard and the other Ivy Leagues, they have large endowments. Unbelievably invested. large huge and I mean, those, to the point uh, where they're as big as uh, some you know venture capital investment companies aren't they um as i mentioned i, I was actually doing a, a summer program at harvard and i was told that um, their you know pot of money which they have invested is bigger than the gross domestic product of the world's three smallest countries the poorest countries i should say um, so we're talking serious money here. And because yeah. they have all these investments, they have this sort of interest or money rolling in, which they can then offer 
as financial aid to encourage the students that they really want to select Harvard. And I had a fascinating conversation with one of the students there. And I asked her, so why did you choose Harvard? Obviously, it's a top university, but she had applied to other Ivy Leagues. And her answer was simple. It was the cheapest. Right. They gave her the most generous financial aid package. Um, what's, now, the I know average, you, you... what's the average figure yeah. of uh, this kind of thing? I know that data is available, I guess. Yes, around about 17,000, right. which is a big which... drop from 73. It really is. And, and 17,000 yeah, yeah. is, is uh, actually, you know, very competitive uh, um, with, with um, well, pretty much all universities across the UK and Canada into yes, mid-range uh, universities in the US, I'd say. I think that's an excellent point to make, Neil, that, you know, if, if you are wondering whether you should or should not apply to the Ivy Leagues, don't be put off by the sticker price. Right. You know, you, you, you're going to have to dig in and look into the whole issue of financial aid because, as you rightly point out, it could end up being cheaper than some of the lesser-known universities in other countries. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. So it's a great, great tip that, uh, you know, don't be so scared. You know, throw it out there. There is money available. And if you don't come from money, then um, I know that, that certainly Harvard and, and I'm sure all the other Ivy Leagues, you know, they really want diverse student bodies coming from all sorts of locations yes. and backgrounds, don't they? Very you much know, so. After the right kind of people and they, they um, you know, the money is secondary to them, unlike perhaps other institutions where the money is fundamentally important. Yes, I think that it's it's well worth shopping around. I mean, if you are applying to the United States, not just Ivy Leagues, but generally, most U.S. colleges have something called financial aid calculator on their website, right. where you sort of slot in some money about your your uh, sort of numbers, about your family's financial situation, and it gives you sort of a ballpark figure of approximately how much financial aid you could expect to get. Then you right. just deduct that from the sticker price and. That's more or less what you're going to have to pay. I remember being in a, a bookshop in the USA and uh, wandering around aimlessly trying to fill up some time and coming across a whole shelf of great big fat books <laughs> uh, in those days full of different scholarship opportunities yes. uh, that yes. exist. Uh, uh, quite the most extraordinary different range of, of scholarships from you know, things financed from families, from uh, individuals from companies, uh, you know, really wide and diverse uh, 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 range of, of, of financial aid uh, and something that uh, doesn't really exist elsewhere. Um, certainly not to the extent it does in the United States. Right. I think uh, when, when we were recording our pod podcast episode on US, uh, you mentioned that you came across a a scholarship for tall people. Yes, indeed, and and you can't you can't hear from my voice or see, but I'm um, you know I'm a sort of uh, a six foot six, um, six foot seven used to be sort of man. And Jeremy, I know that you're not exactly uh, a small man. Just a, a couple of inches shorter than you. Yeah, and so you know, I I uh, I, I was intrigued when I saw this uh, uh, this. Um, uh, scholarship uh, being listed in those books and there are just unbelievably diverse uh, criteria for for gaining scholarships if you're prepared to dig 
Uh, and so, you know, when we're talking about money, uh, you really do need to dig around and be optimistic and and really spend a bit of time there, don't you? Very important message, yes. Spend some time there and and also sort of inform yourself about financial aid. And, it's exactly, a, it's and I'll go large, back again and take topic, a yeah. look at that, that episode uh, with Randy because yes. it is a yes. great episode to actually contextualize this conversation. So we've mentioned costs, we've mentioned the uh, essay. Um, there's another part of uh, the application process, isn't there, that we need to uh, uh, talk about, and that's interviews. Yes, a lot of the Ivy Leagues uh, conduct interviews. Um, they're usually done by the alumni who are living in your local neighborhood in wow. your city. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yes, and... Although you're going to have to prepare for these and sort of read around your subjects and the particular university, it's not one of those scarily difficult academic interviews that you might encounter if you apply somewhere like Oxford or Cambridge in the UK. It's, it's more sort of a pleasant chat over a coffee in a local cafe with uh, someone who graduated a few years previously. Right. And what are they looking for? Uh, or maybe maybe we come to that mm-hmm. later, but... Uh, obviously, they're trying to work out whether you're a good fit, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Um, they, they want to see whether you're the right sort of student for that particular Ivy League university. Right. And uh, uh, so not as scary as, um, uh, as I say, Oxford and Cambridge. Um, uh, when I was young, the, the thought, very thought of an interview there would fill uh, high school students with fear. Um but this isn't the case uh, for the Ivy Leagues. Uh, that's correct. If you want to hear what Cambridge University interviews are like, then please listen to our podcast, Cambridge University, with Roshan Walkerley. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this is the bit that everyone has been waiting for. Um, uh, the, the first part of this uh, episode was um, the packaging, probably for most uh, students and their families this is the critical question isn't it the crunch how do i get in to an ivy league school well everyone knows they're very competitive and of course everyone is looking for that uh, the edge you know how to get in ahead of the other applicants but you've got um, the magic wand i'm sure uh i'm gonna have to come clean Neil, and say there actually is no magic wand answer oh, okay. uh, i'm really sorry you've been you've been very patient going through this whole podcast but <laughs> how however there are certain things you can do to uh maximize your chances let's put it that right. way so let's have a look at them well first of all there are thousands of books and websites and blogs and videos and forums and social media offering advice on this subject But at the end of the day, it comes down to this. You need to be studying a rigorous academic program in your school. That's a given. Uh, You need to get top grades in all of your subjects. Plus, of course, your SATs. Uh, You need to be a highly intelligent, well-qualified student. You need to show that you are special because, of course, all the other applicants are highly intelligent, well-qualified. And we did touch on this um, show, You're Special, when you write your essay. Right. It comes back to the importance of the application essays. So, all okay, of these so how do you are... show that you're special? Um, 
you know, what can you do um, before your application to, to, to evidence that? Well, I think if, if we sort of put that into the context of the essay that you're going to write, first of all, you need to do some very detailed research about the type of university you are applying to. Remember, all these Ivy Leagues are different from one another. What, it, what type of university is it? What type of environment? What type of students are they looking to recruit? Um, and then with that in your mind, you then need to select one of the essay uh, prompts, which allows you to talk about your own personal experiences, which fit the sort of the, the profile of the student that they are trying to recruit. So you need right. to sort of fit all this together. Okay, understood. And extracurricular activities at high school? Important um, in this made, mix? Yep, we are going to release a podcast episode on this topic as well. But just very yeah. briefly, um, you don't need to join dozens and dozens of clubs and societies. Admissions tutors prefer you to follow your passion, to specialise and show that you've learnt something from the activity and actually devote some time to that activity. Don't just sort of do one hour in grade 11 on you know, 28 different uh, activities. That's, that's not really valuable. They would like to see that you are very committed to you know, a limited number of activities. Understood. And that's a great way of showing your special, going back to what you were saying earlier. Yes, it is, yes. Right. Now, you mentioned uh, uh, early decision, early action earlier. And I believe that you were sort of setting us up for a top tip here um, uh, when you were talking about it. Am I right? You were right indeed. Now we come down to something which is going to be of great interest, I think, to the listeners. Yeah. Um, there is a, a, a difference in the acceptance rate if you go early decision, early action compared to regular admissions. Right. And, and, so and this is something that I was uh, fascinated by um, because the difference is, is significant, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, we take Harvard, for example, it's about 14.5% acceptance rate on early decision. And it's only about 4 or 5% on um, regular admission. Let's so, go through the different uh, colleges because I think it's really worthwhile taking a look at this. Uh, yes, it university is. University for yeah. university. Yeah, Brown University is around about 21, 22% on early decision and about 9% on okay, regular. Okay, so slow down. You, so, you know, 21 to 22%, that's almost one in four in early decision. And yet, you know, uh, when you apply through the regular route, you're at 9%, which is a one in 10. It's obviously a yes. huge difference, isn't it? What about Columbia? Yes, indeed. Um, Columbia, we didn't actually have um, any information okay. for the early, early decision. But um, Cornell, around about 25% early decision as opposed to about 12% on regular. Okay, so double? So about double, double. Dartmouth? Dartmouth. 27% on early decision, 10% on regular. So that's times three. Yeah, three, three times yep. more chance. N um, nearly. Nearly. Harvard, we mentioned that was three times, uh, uh, yes. 14, 15% to 5%. Yep. Uh, UPET? 
22% as opposed to 9%. Okay, so, you know, twice the chance. Uh, Princeton? 15% uh, compared to 6 Okay, and Yale? 17% compared to 7 Wow. So, and why is this? Why, why you know, same candidates, you could apply uh, for early decision pretty much. Uh, uh, what, why is it different? What's the reason? Well, you, you have to think about it also from the perspective of what the universities are trying to achieve. They right. have to recruit and fill up their class with the right type of students. Now, if you are going early decision, you're going to be just applying to that one university. And so the university people know that, that you've done your research and you are very committed to the ethos of their uh, university, that you actually want to be there as opposed to somewhere else. And so right. and for them, them a chance I guess it's also, you know, that they think uh, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I, if yeah. they've got a strong candidate who is dedicated to them for a period of time, um, that, you know, is something significant. Whereas if they're out in the, in the wide world of, of uh, uh, you know, general applications, the chances of them choosing you are, uh, are slimmer. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, this this is the, the, the great thing about early decision. Uh, but you, as a student, you, you need to be very clear that you actually really want to go to that university. Sure. Right. And, of course, as you spoke about earlier, have the backup plans in case uh, they either reject or put you on hold. <laughs> yeah, a backup plan is always a good idea if you're applying to top universities because you can't just assume you're going to walk in. It's a nice thing if it happens, but if it doesn't, then you'll just go to some other top university. Right. And I think it's probably important to drill into... Um, you know, the benefits that IB students would have. Many of our students are taking the IB diploma, uh, the, the listeners. Um, is it a good program um, to get you into uh, an Ivy League? Yes, indeed. Um, I've been in this job for well over 20 years. And when I first started, the IB wasn't so widely known in the United States. No. But over recent years, it has become very popular in, in U.S. schools, U.S. high schools. And I think that it's fair to say that U.S. admissions tutors um, know the IB program and they see it as a rigorous academic program. Right. So you, so you put on the, a kind yeah. of level playing field with students taking the AP, for example, which is what they are used to. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. In fact, I've had many, many conversations at conferences I've been to with U.S. Um, admissions tutors, and they all said to me that that they really like IB diploma students, and those students go on to be successful university students because right. of the way they have been trained or taught in high school. And there's often, going back to money, there's often uh, a financial benefit associated with uh, doing the IB diploma, isn't there? Yes, a, a lot of U.S. colleges and universities automatically allocate a sum of money if your GPA or your grades are above a certain number. And this certainly um, applies to IB students. I mean, typically, um, it varies a bit, of course, place to place, but typically if you achieve a five or above on your IB high-level subjects, 
um, you automatically qualify for sort of X thousand dollars of financial aid. This is called merit-based aid. Lots of different types of financial aid, as you'll discover when you listen to our podcast with uh, Randy Venner. Um, but this is quite important for you to understand that um, as an IB student applying to US colleges, uh, there's a good chance that you can get some sort of financial aid automatically awarded. Wow, Jeremy, lots of uh, top tips there. Um, I think it's important that we sort of sum things up. Uh, uh, I guess I can, uh, in, you know, might read your mind when it comes to the first recommendation. Now, let me see. I'm going to zoom in. We're going to make mental contact. I'm going to be like Spock. And I'm going to, <laughs> going to sort of make a mental connect. I believe the first one on your list uh, uh, when it comes to uh, making sure you do your very best in terms of applying for the Ivy Leagues is to start early. Is that right? Wow, Neil, how did you guess that? I, I, you know, I, I never realized you just mentioned Spock. Um, this, of course, is a Star Trek illusion. Oh, yes. I didn't know, I didn't know you were a closet Trekkie. <laughs> I certainly uh, am. I certainly oh, me am. too. Trekkies yeah, of the world unite. Yes. Okay. Um, yes. Uh, ab- start ab- early. Above the, 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 the generic start early, uh, what sort of uh, final thoughts do you have for people applying to uh, one of the, or one or more of the Ivy League uh, uh, universities? Yeah, earlier on in this episode, we, we talked about the differences between, uh, between the Ivy League universities. Right. So you need, you need to figure out which one will be a good fit for you personally. Right. And then you also need to make a list of your target and safety schools as well. We talked about the fact you're going to have to apply to other universities, not just the Ivy Leagues, just in case. Um, make a timeline for taking your SAT or ACT tests. Um, start your college essays early. Uh, we said perhaps during the vacation between grade 11 and grade 12 would be a good time to do it. Um, then you need to consider if you want to go down the early decision, early action route or not. And make a list of your strong points academically and also your transferable skills. Right. And perhaps share this information with your college counselor and teachers. And you need to work really closely with your teachers and college counselors. Sit down with them and talk about or offer them information which will help them write a better recommendation letter for you. And they'll be grateful because it'll make their job easier as well. Indeed. And I think the other thing probably is, um, you know, don't get too downhearted if, if you're rejected. Uh, it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, there are loads of, of wonderful options out there. And, and uh, it's really important if you do get that rejection uh, uh, message to, to focus forwards, I guess, rather than saying, oh, I've had enough and, and uh you know, especially as your exams will be coming up and, and times will be challenging. Is that right? Yes. I mean, if, if you're the sort of student who's going to apply to the Ivy Leagues, you're obviously a very top student. That's clear. Whether you land up at an Ivy League or one of the other top universities that's not technically an Ivy League. I mean, we, we mentioned like Northwestern, for example, or Stanford or somewhere else. You're going to get a really first rate education and move on to a first rate career afterwards. So don't be downhearted. If you do get rejected, move on to another top university. And um, all this talk of uh, 
of uh, New England, because we've been talking a lot about New England, uh, has made my stomach grumble with a memory of clam chowder that uh, uh, oh, I, yes. I, I have uh, enjoyed uh, in New England, in, in Boston and in Cambridge. Yes. And unfortunately, I don't have any wonderful fresh cans here to make a clam mm. chowder with. So I think I'm probably heading off for a cheese sandwich uh, uh, this evening. Jeremy, have you got uh, clam chowder on the on the menu? Alas, no. I also discovered clam chowder on my first visit to Boston, and uh, I've been a big fan ever since. I've been to city many times. Um, sure. No, I'm actually sitting here in Germany, quite a long way from the coast. Another clam <laughs> in sight. I have to have to say that straight out. Oh well, never mind. Maybe maybe in a future but, life when we get invited, when we get invited ah, to visit, yes, uh, we yes. can enjoy yes. a clam chowder together. What do you think? Wash it down with Sam Adams as well, maybe. Indeed. Yes. Not but, too bad. Neil, yes, go I on. Have been, I have been in the kitchen, a busy boy, and I've made one of my standout apple crumbles. For some Ooh! Yeah, yeah. And, so and that, I'm sure That's what's on good. this evening. How it's does it rank beyond, in comparison to your good. mince pies? Is it uh, up there? It's right up there with the mince pies, Neil. But mince pies only happen once a year because they're traditional Christmas uh, cakes in the UK. Apple crumble, you can make it any time of year. Any time. Fantastic. Yes. Enjoy. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share the Find Your Best Future podcast.